Hi, I'm Brian Levy. I'm a partner at Manchester Living and the host of the Manchester Living podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care. Uh, just like the U.S. government, there's a lot of red tape and a lot of acronyms. I can't do anything about the red tape, but I do have a lexicon of the elder care terms on our website at manchesterlivingpodcast.com. Today's new and noteworthy is um, a little bit about scooters for Scooters for Vets, a TikTok user, raised money to surprise a veteran with a gift. Let's roll the tape. There's good news tonight about chance meetings and the emotional connection between two new friends who are now uniting to help others. Kate Snow has their story. Ask anyone who knows Navy veteran well, Kenny Jerry, and they'll tell you. Hi, oh yeah. He's got huh? a certain joy about him. Amanda Klein had heard about the guy on the scooter and finally met him last May in their town of Willerney, Minnesota, near where she teaches students who are deaf and use sign language. I had my scooter decorated with flags, red, white, and blue. And I said, are you Kenny? And he said, I am. It's a pleasure to know you. And that was it. I knew I liked him already. <laughs> His enthusiasm so inspiring that Amanda asked if she could post video of Kenny on TikTok. <laughs> the whole idea was really just to share his joy with the world more than just our town. Kenny, did you know what TikTok was? No, Kate. They never no. imagined how many people he'd touch. You got fan mail. Are you famous? Hey. So when Kenny's mobility scooter broke last month, Amanda posted. I wouldn't be able to go to the coffee shop, Veterans Park, that was it. I couldn't afford it. Within 24 hours, TikTok rallied to replace it, soon passing the $5,000 donation goal. They've given you $45,000. What? And then it hit an astonishing 100,000 bucks. It's at 101,110. No, 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 no. <laughs> now the pair is paying it forward, oh asking their followers goodness. to nominate other veterans in need. We're gonna give away 10 free scooters. No red tape. This week, they'll give mobility scooters to 10 people from nearly 800 who applied. A way to show their appreciation for others who have served. We got so many good people in this world. It sort of restores your faith, no? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You know, Kate, especially now with what we're going through, the COVID, the division. I was trying to talk to people and make them smile. You know, take a deep breath. We can get through this. You're going to make me cry, Kenny. Jumping the club. <laughs> a message of hope and of friendship that's been a blessing for them both. Kate Snow, NBC News. That was great. In the immortal words of Ellen DeGeneres, let's be kind to one another. All right, let's jump in. Today we're talking about the expense of elder care and options for families when facing what is oftentimes an unpleasant and expensive surprise. Today is National Bring Your Boss to Work Day, so I've brought my boss, Adam Lampert, the CEO of Manchester Living, the parent company of Manchester Care Homes and Cambridge Caregivers. Thank you for being here, Adam. Thank you for having me, Brian. Absolutely. And Cheryl <laughs> Akers, my friend, RN, aging life professional, advanced level, certified dementia practitioner. That's a mouthful. It sure is. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be here today. Certainly. Looking forward to it. Let's jump in. Cheryl, what exactly is a care case manager? How did you get into this business and why? Well, a care case manager, the, the terms are actually interchangeable. Usually the term care manager is more um, 
appropriate for someone that is a patient advocate in dealing with elder healthcare issues and all of the aging issues that go along with it. Um, as a case manager, I, I'm a certified case manager and, you know, I worked in the health insurance industry, workers' comp. I was a case manager in a hospital, and care managers are not usually doing that. The, there's differences in credentials, so I always tell everybody, if you're confused, try to ask somebody what their credentials are, where did they get them, what do they mean? Why did I get into this business? I actually was advised to do this by an elder law attorney while I was working in the health insurance industry. So, but as a nurse, I was like four and I knew I was just going to be a nurse when I grew up. Pretty straightforward. Yep. I'm going to be a nurse. I'm going to be a nurse. Well, you're great at what you do and I appreciate you being uh, serving this community along with us. So, Thank you. Adam, how did you get in this business and why? So for a long time, I consulted to other businesses, helped them raise money and help them grow their concepts. And uh, during that, for a long period of time, I wanted to run my own company. And bring value to people around me. And this was an opportunity that uh, was interesting because it affected people at so many different levels. It wasn't just the focus on seniors, like we focus on seniors in our business, but also our staff. Uh, and I, I'm very tuned in to our staff and, and the impact that the business has on their lives. So that's what kind of prompted me to get into it. Great, twofold, nice. Um, all right, Adam, family members are typically experienced sticker shock when I tell them the rates for assisted living facilities. What makes senior living so expensive? In a word, it's people. Uh, there's the, the fact is that the senior care requires caregivers. And the interesting thing about that, though, is that there are a lot of different models in the business, meaning there's kind of assisted living light and there's assisted living heavy and there's independent living. All of those things, people have different models and they could be doing exactly the right thing by their model. But what it means is that they're gonna have fewer people potentially for your care, for care needs. So ratios. So it's ratios. And so it's really up to the consumer. There is, there is a level of sticker shock. There's no question about it. But many times what you see is what you get. You, you, you get what you pay for because you're really paying for people to be there for mom or dad or your aunt or your uncle. Few family members have unlimited funds for elder care services. Discuss how families might approach incurring these unexpected costs. It's a surprise. Adam, what do they do? Our experience has been, there, there are a couple different paths families will take. First, it may be that they have, they have assets and wealth that mom and dad, or assuming that it's mom or dad, they have the wealth in their estate and they can sell down assets. They, they may be able to sell their home. Uh, you know, a, another avenue is they may have chosen long-term care insurance. Long-term care insurance can be a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, our experience with long-term care is that every policy is different and how people came to their policies are different. So, but that's a wonderful outcome if someone has long-term care. And finally, it may fall on the kids that the kids recognize mom, dad, they don't have the assets in their estate. And so they're like, all right, the three of us, we're just gonna divide it by three and we're all gonna write a check because dad needs to be someplace. We're gonna pitch in. So after the sticker shock and after they find religion, they put pen to paper, what estate planning preparations can they do to, in advance to prepare for this? Well, 
it's kind of just around that conversation, right? It's it's a realization. You know, what I think what's interesting from at least my perspective and the experience that we've gotten is that uh, Alzheimer's is far more prevalent than it was before. And I think that kids need to think about what their parents' needs are going to be, particularly with regard to Alzheimer's, uh, because uh, people tend to stay in assisted living longer when they have a disease like Alzheimer's. And that's when they want to think about maybe long-term care is a real investment for us, for mom or dad to make. Uh, those are the kinds of things, you know, they need to, obviously they can't create assets when they start thinking about estate planning, uh, but they can consider what the path is going to be for mom or dad. Um, you know, usually when, when a, a senior is aging, if it's really a physical thing and not Alzheimer's or a mental disease, there it's going to be for a certain number of years, our average may be three years. And so you need to think about the assets that you need for those three years of their end of life. Yeah. Cheryl, some of the families that you're working with, what do you do with the sticker shop? Well, after they pick themselves up off the floor, <laughs> um, you know, as a case manager, my job is to look at how do we take care of this person from a physical standpoint, but how do we pay for the care? Because often, and, and it's funny because the, the kids will say, well, I didn't know. I, I, I've never done this before. Well, how could you know if you've never done this before? You don't start to learn how to ride a bike the first time you get on the bike. Right. So unless you've been down the road. So the, the question is, where's the person living? Are they safe living there? Because they may be able to stay at home for a, a period of time with some extra help. I call it like almost training wheels. But you also then have to look at, well, further down the road, because Alzheimer's or any type of dementia is always always, always, always progressive. It will never be stagnant. The rate at which it progresses is variable. So then you need to start looking right then and there. If there is that diagnosis or there's a question about it, need to make sure there is a diagnosis and then start looking at the planning. Unfortunately, by that time, you're not going to be able to apply for long-term care insurance because you will have a pre-existing disease and you may already have other pre-existing diseases, i.e. diabetic, hypertension, you've had a stroke, you'll probably not qualify for long-term care insurance. So then you start looking at, well, what is the house worth? You know, are there other assets, bank accounts, IRAs, pensions, social security, all of those monies? Maybe the person was a veteran of a designated period of war. There's something called veterans assistance, aid and attendance, and there's criteria that have to be met. There's financial parameters now. They didn't have any years ago. They changed the rules four or five years ago. And so you may need to talk to an elder law attorney to help with some of that financial planning because you also may have to say, we may have to look at Medicaid funding way down the road, but Medicaid is gonna look back five years on your financials. So you don't wanna knock yourself out of the Medicaid game because you kinda of wanna prepare for the worst case scenario, which is most, it's awful. You know, you wanna say, you know, your house is gonna burn down, you're gonna do all this other stuff. But you got to plan for the worst and hope for the best. Great. Sure. Well, as a case, oh, Adam, sorry. I, I just want to interject because you you reminded me of an, a, a, with with a state of plan state planning is that you really need to consider power of attorney uh, when when you're estate planning when your parents are aging. Mm -hmm. You need to consider power of attorney, and 
our experience has been crazy in terms of, you know, depending on who the family is and what kind of assets they have or what kind of assets that they don't have. But the important thing is particularly when someone has uh, 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 something like Alzheimer's, you want to get a power of attorney set up early. And elaborate on that, why? So what happens is that you get to a point where mom or dad or whoever your power of attorney for can't make decisions on their own. Mm -hmm. And it's important in order to uh, protect their estate, candidly, financially, so that they're not spending money or making bad decisions, but that, that someone is there to step in and, and help and direct their care. So there are different types of power of attorneys. In fact, mm -hmm. there's financial powers of attorney. I mean, it gets very detailed, but there's also medical power of attorney. And those are two distinct roles. Mm -hmm. And so families have to think about that as well, who they want as a medical power of attorney, maybe someone different. You know, if you have a kid with financial background, maybe that one's the financial power of attorney. Right. And if you have another kid who has medical background or is or, or for whatever reason, you decide you want them to be the medical power of attorney. And I think it's important to, to, to note, it doesn't have to be a family member. It could be clergy, it could be, well, probably not clergy, but it could be a financial advisor, it could be a case manager, it could be a guardian. Yeah, I we try not to do that because of the co potential conflict of interest, mm -hmm. but it could be a, a, like one of the lifelong friends. But then you have to say, well, if this person is 80 and they're naming their 82-year-old friend as power of attorney, who's going to outlive who? And do they have any kind of medical issues that they may not be able to make? Sure. And then you can always do a guardian in advance of need. In this state, you can actually name somebody as a guardian should a guardianship be needed, avoiding the guardianship costs, but you can also say who you don't want to be your guardian. I did not know that. Oh, Thank you for I, sharing that. I know, I know <laughs> strange I stuff. Yeah, because the thing is, there's... You know, you may have four kids in the family, and one's just a, a mm -hmm. in the old days, you call them a ne'er-do-well. Yes. Um, and you don't want that person in charge of your healthcare decision-making or your financial decision-making. Sure. So you can say, oh, I don't want them to be my guardian in advance mm -hmm. of me. Interesting. Show as a case manager, what keeps you up at night? I think, the, well, there's several things that keep me up at night, but I think one of the the hard things is people not understanding what to do. Uh, and, and caring for their loved ones. They usually want to do the right thing. They don't know what to do. And they say, no, we, we, can't, we can't bring you in. It's like, well, no, you need an expert in this because this is a very complex situation. I'm dealing with a family now. We've got adult children that don't live here. They're both, they're on the East and West Coasts respectively. And care has been dropped. Um, and the person has had significant changes in their life and nobody knew anything about it. And the person he was living with didn't say anything to anybody. And so I'm scrambling now with the family to try to make everything work. So that's the stuff that keeps me up at night. Plus the financial piece, you know, because unfortunately, if you do end up qualifying for Medicaid, there's limited options for care services that accept Medicaid because Medicaid is Medicare is a, is a federal program. Medicaid is state and federal. So Medicaid state funding here in Texas is not the best. And a lot of times the only option is to have somebody in a nursing home. And if you've got advanced dementia, nursing home is not necessarily the best place because you need 
dementia care and nursing homes aren't designed for that. They're designed for medical care. And that's where the difference lies. Well, thank you for adding to my nighttime anxiety. Now that's going to keep me up at night. That's great. Adam, as an owner of an AL and a PAS agency, what keeps you up at night? Well, interesting question. First of all, in an age of a pandemic, one, one is the disease. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I seriously, when I get up at night, that's what I'm thinking about. We've been tremendously fortunate that we've had nobody sick in our care homes. But that still keeps me up. And related to that, I think, is just simply continuity of care and quality of care, particularly in a pandemic where we have so many issues with personnel and the hiring and, and retention of quality personnel. That's, that's been uh, a concern. Yeah. So um, elder care is certainly a growth industry. What is your strategy to address the growth, the growth demand? Well, for us, it's a focus on the staff person. Uh, it's, it's a realization that they're the backbone of our business and that they're, they're, they're a reflection of our business. And so for me, as we, we know this is a growth business, right? We know that there's, we, we haven't even begun to service baby boomers in this business. We're dealing with their parents. And as a result, we know there's gonna be literally a need for hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of caregivers on a go-forward basis over the next decade or two. And we know that there's going to be high growth. And so it's it's all about focusing on personnel and uh, uh, attracting and retaining them. Great. <clears throat> Cheryl, what is custodial care and as, as it relates to elder care expenses? Well, to start with, you know, Medicare is health insurance. So if you think Blue Cross, Aetna, United Healthcare, they're all health insurances. Medicare is what you've paid into, and it's now your health insurance at the age of 65 or disability and all the other things that go along with it. No insurance pays for custodial care. Custodial care, if you think about it, health insurance is not going to pay for your mortgage on the house or your apartment rent. So somebody could be living at home, they've had a stroke, or they've had a dis disabling um, medical condition, Health insurance and that ins that condition is not going to improve. They are at their baseline. They've they've progressed as much with therapy and care, so they are at their new baseline. Who they are, so that's when health insurance stops paying. That is custodial care. So even though the person has had a stroke and they're in a wheelchair and they're living at home, care needs are basically going to fall to them to pay for it. That's custodial care. It's the new baseline, whatever that baseline looks like for that person. Got it. So what are other funding options? What are your options? Well, as we discussed, the long-term care insurance, if it's around, one of the issues, I also do long-term care insurance assessments for people that have applied for policies, et cetera. But one of the things that they look at, some of the policies, there's a limited uh, lifetime benefit of maybe 300000 or 500000 They may only pay a certain maximum number of dollars per day. In some of the really, really old policies, they only paid for care in a nursing home. Because back in the day, when our parents were taking care of their parents, that was the only other option. We didn't have assisted living. We didn't have memory care. Those are all new mm -hmm. levels of care that are now available. So some of those old policies would be, you know, they're great that they have them, but they're not paying for care 
in anything but a nursing home. So you kind of have to fight with that. The Veterans Aid and Attendance Benefit, it, it is good for uh, the veteran and, and or the widow, widower of the veteran, but at a, re a reduced payment. But again, you have to apply for it. There's criteria from a financial and a look back timeline period. So I always tell everybody, if you're a veteran, make sure you have your DD-214. You have to be honorably discharged. And you may need to talk to a uh, Veterans Administration rep to help you apply for it and make sure because it's not a re it's a reimbursement program. You, they, just, they just don't hand you X number of dollars and say, here, that's for your care for this month. You have to basically spend the money and then they reimburse it. But there's a maximum that is paid out per month, depending on if you've had a disability rating. It's very complex. And I'm not an attorney and I don't play one on TV. <laughs> so you really need to talk to an attorney that can help for potential Medicaid planning and potential VA planning as well. But, you know, a lot of it is going to be out of pocket, whether it's the kids chipping in, you selling the house. But again, if the house is considered an asset and that may throw off your Medicaid planning, but then there's ladybird deeds. I mean, there's a lot of things that can be done. And again, that's when you probably need an elder law estate planning attorney that's familiar with all of those moving pieces and parts. And I think the main takeaway from this whole thing is always tell families, there are options. You may not like the options, but there are options. Yeah, there are options, but it it's and costs are not going down. That's Again, sure. you know, like Adam was saying, you know, the cost of personnel, cost of training personnel, making sure that we're staying on top of any new progressive things and all the new, like with the pandemic, everybody had a huge outlay of cost for the personal protective equipment, right. PPE, mm -hmm. which nobody planned for that. Yes, so you have, oh, everybody had some, but not to the extent we've needed it through this pandemic. Right. And this pandemic is still not over. That's for sure. Adam, do you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I would point out a common misperception, and, and you, you speak to it a little bit, about Medicare, that people have an expectation that Medicare is going to help them in the support of elder care, of themselves or their parents or their loved ones. And the fact is, is that just like you say, it is health insurance. Mm -hmm. What's interesting though, and I actually have a question for you, maybe you've heard different things, okay. is that just as there's been an evolving understanding where we're not just with nursing homes anymore, we have assisted living, we have memory care. Mm -hmm. uh, I also understand that there may be some shifts in Medi Medicare that they're gonna, there's going to be allowances for more at-home type care and more custodial, not, not custodial care in the, in the term that you wouldn't use it, but um, for, for elder care that we can apply funds. Are you familiar with any of that? I've heard discussion about it, but then it's a government process, which um, I'm not holding my breath on. Um, unfortunately, I am also a former home health nurse, did Medicare home health visits, Medicare has cut back significantly on home health nursing therapies, which unfortunately that was often the lifesaver for allowing people to stay at home and also stay out of the hospital. I, I remember seeing a, a client one time and he had a bad respiratory issues and I'm like, you're not breathing too well today. And he goes, yeah, my, my watch is tight. And I went, wait a minute. So I listened to his lungs. They were really junky and his weight was up two pounds. And I said, I think you're in early congestive heart failure. I called the doctor and I said, can I give him a little bit of extra Lasix and check on him tomorrow? 
Sure enough, I got him, you know, he gave him an extra dose of Lasix, which is a fluid medication. He dumped the fluid, his weight dropped, his watch loosened up, and I kept him out of a hospital. And that's what now we're, we're losing that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we've got nurses. I just had an issue. I found probably at least four or five medication errors from a home health nurse that was setting up medication boxes. Mm -hmm. And serious medication errors, like missing meds, overdosing on meds. Mm -hmm. And these aren't narcotics. These are just blood pressure and other meds. So, you know, I don't know how Medicare is going to evolve in adding more services, um, but we have to look at what's available now because that could take years with the amount of discord right now in the political system, and I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure any agreements are going to be happening anytime soon because it's such a big, big program and there's mm -hmm. such a financial burden. Expensive, for sure. Oh, yeah. It is expensive. Adam, what haven't I asked you that I should? Brian, you're just so incredibly thorough. See, this is my annual review. And now this comes time for my raise. And then, I'll tell you later. All right, great. <laughs> Related to elder care expenses, what haven't I asked you that I should? You know, I, I think I think that what we what you've offered is a is a pretty good picture in what people need to think about. It's a recognition that you're not going to rely on the government. They're not going to have resources for you. Right. And so you need to start thinking now for the future, particularly if, uh, again, if it's dementia-related uh, illness, e even more so, it's that much more important to be focused on uh, direction in terms of the power of attorney, et cetera, and so mm -hmm. forth. But uh, the, those, I mean, th that's really the focus. Good. Cheryl, what haven't I asked you that I should? Like Adam said, you've been very thorough. What I would like to say, though, is if you are an adult child of an aging parent, you need to look at long-term care insurance for yourself. And what has happened over the last several years, a lot of companies are no longer writing insurance, but now there's different products out there, and I'm not an insurance salesman either. Um, there are different products, so they can be, I think one of them, for example, is a hybrid product. It can be a combination of life insurance or long-term care insurance. So if you never need long-term care, the life insurance policy is there. If you need long-term care insurance, then they pay out on the long-term care. So you need to find a reputable agent and look at the, your options for long-term care insurance because the earlier you get them, the less expensive they are. And you know you don't want to get to the point where you're going to have a medical condition where you will be ruled out and you won't be able to get it because of your pre-existing disease. And just as an FYI, I have my own long-term care insurance. Oh, good oh yes. Know. Oh, I couldn't. Oh, great. I've well, had it for years. Keep Manchester and Cambridge on speed dial. Okay. You're ready. I okay. have mine too. It's my three children. <laughs> well played. <laughs> so the takeaway is plan in advance. Know your options. Yes. Plan, plan, plan. plan. And, oh. All right, guys. We're going to roll into the nugget portion of this show. This is a visual that keeps coming back into my life. So I figured I'd just bring it on to the podcast. This is um, the, cir the circle of life, if you will. And if you just put up the visual, we are all headed in the same direction, staring at the same goal line. All right, on to the lightning round. Are you ready? There's an opportunity for viewers to get to know you guys personally. Adam, we're going to start with you and then we'll go back and forth between you and Cheryl. Are you ready? Adam, where were you born and raised? San Antonio, Texas. Cheryl. Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Welcome to town. Adam, college and degree. U University of Texas, Austin, BA, BBA, graduate school at Wharton. Cheryl. Algonquin College, Ottawa. 
Nursing. Adam, can you write in cursive? Poorly. Cheryl, can you write in cursive? Both hands. Adam, ever lived abroad? No, sir. Cheryl. Well, Canada's abroad. Yes, it is. Adam, what's your dream car? How about a 56 Mercedes Goldwing? Cheryl, dream car. I have it. Lexus NXT. That a girl. Adam, junk food or health nut? Health nut. Cheryl. Yeah. Adam, <laughs> health food. Yeah. Adam, can you drive a stick shift? I can. Cheryl. I've driven a racing Porsche. Wow, that's impressive. Adam, mountains or beach? Mountains. Cheryl, mountains or beach? Mountains. Adam, favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. Brahms frozen yogurt toffee bark. Adam, iPhone or Android? iPhone. Cheryl. iPhones. Adam, night owl or early to bed, early to rise? Night owl. Cheryl. Oh, wimpy early. Adam, proudest career accomplishment? Uh, living it, creating jobs. That's great. Cheryl? I was nominated for and received the National Award of Service Excellence from the Case Management Society of America in 2019 oh, for the work that I do. I was hoping you were going to say that. Congratulations. That, that was That's just, phenomenal. I still get over clump thinking about it. I, I love it. Just, Thank you both for being here and being patient with me on this broadcast today. Uh, what's the best way for my viewers to reach either of you if they need to ask you any questions or want your services? Adam. Look us up at manchesterliving.com. Cheryl. TexasCaseManager.com. So T-X-C-A-S-E-M-A-N-A-G-E-R.com. Fantastic. And you can find this podcast online if you search Manchester Living Podcast on Facebook, iTunes, or YouTube. Thanks for watching today. If there's ever anything I can do for you, don't hesitate to call me directly.